RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. We heard in the uh, aftermath of that, in the short time after Cyclone Gabriel hit, that you know it was a mess, and you saw the pictures on the TV and the media were there for about a week. But then what happened? Haven't heard much about the aftermath of Cyclone Gabriel in the Hawke's Bay, at least anyway. Zeb Jackson hopefully can tell us. She joins us. Um, Zeb, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Thanks for checking in. Oh, kia ora, my friend. It's so good to be here. I love this radio station. It is the best thing to come out of what has been a terrible, terrible few years, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. And thank you for the kind words. We appreciate it. Okay, so it's been a couple of weeks, I believe, since you were on the ground in the Hawke's Bay, but you spent plenty of time there and you're in contact with folks still, right? Is that the case? That's right, yes. Okay, so we saw all the pictures on TV and, you know, the media websites were going nuts for a a week or so. And then, as it inevitably does, the news cycle finishes and, um, you know, it sort of fades away. But it doesn't mean it goes away at all. First of all, what do you think of that when they turn up for a few days and then and then they're out of there? How does that make you feel? Well, um, we actually had this experience at one point with one of the properties we were working on. We actually had one news turn up on site and um, unfortunately they weren't met with a very welcoming response from uh, people working on the scene or property owners in the area because uh, one, the first thing we noticed was that they weren't turning up wearing gumboots and carrying shovels. They were turning up in pristine work wear, carrying nothing but camera equipment. They weren't there to help. They were there to get a story and that was made very plain and obvious when they turned up. So it was quite unfortunate to see and watch and be a part of. Um, I can imagine they would have had a, a much kinder response from the people in the area had they turned up to actually help. Okay, so do you think they got the message? Because they're getting more and more of this now. People don't really like them like they used to. And if you look at the um, the latest poll, that you know a lot of people have um, lost faith with the mainstream media. Do you think they got the message? Did they go with their tail between their legs or did they relentlessly push to get the story still? I believe they're going to keep relentlessly pushing. It's what they're good at. It's what they do. It's it's part and parcel with the, I guess, the type of journalism that they do, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that we should be expecting in these situations is that our institutions who are charged with dealing with these sorts of disasters are there, they're organised, they're competent, and they do the right thing. Have you seen any evidence of that? The... I was very disappointed at the lack of uh, those sort of organisational entities uh, being present in the areas that I was working in. It was uh, very disappointing, putting it lightly, and it was reflected in the attitudes from the homeowners that we worked with who also hadn't seen boo from a lot of these services. I can honestly say in the six to seven weeks that I was working, I did not see a single member from the Red Cross. I did not see a single person from the army step outside of their vehicles. I did not see a police officer with a shovel. I did not see so many things. What I can say I saw is I did see council workers with tip trucks picking up things from the side of the road. I did not see them helping on properties or anything like that. Uh, I did see a woman with a welfare vest on that was doing some checks. I'm not sure what service she was from, but that is something that I did see. Uh, But apart from offering 
help and support, it, it seems to be very, very difficult for our owners to access. Uh, there's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of loopholes. There's a lot of regulations where if somebody just took the time just to step out of their vehicles and go and see them at their properties, uh, there would be no question that these people need help and support and they need it now. Well, they needed it seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago. How many weeks are we on now? Yeah, well, I've I think we're into the, well past the second month now, aren't we? Yes, yes, we are. Yeah. Maybe they just think that people will forget and then the pressure goes off them. Though the pressure's been on them and they didn't they didn't seem to, to step up too well from what we've been hearing. I'm going to ask you about what you've been doing in the helping, but two things came up there. First, mm. Army wouldn't get out of their trucks. What? Well, I never actually saw a truck stop. They always just drove straight past, not slowly either, always at speed, straight on past to whatever destination they were going to. But I never once saw a stopped army vehicle in any of the areas that I worked at. Because you'd think you could rely on the army, right? Of all people. They've got the gear. I mean, they spent all that time crawling around Waiuru in the middle of winter. So they're hardy, they they can handle it. And you'd think they'd be chomping at the bit to do anything they could. Okay, well, maybe that's just what you saw and it wasn't reflective of, of... you know, the big picture of what they're doing. But, okay, that's interesting. The other thing is you mentioned the Red Cross. What did you say about the Red Cross? I never once saw anybody from the Red Cross. I didn't see a Red Cross vehicle. I didn't see a Red Cross uniform. I did not see anybody from Red Cross at all. Didn't they, I've heard, that they raised quite a bit of money on the back of this in the tens of millions, and you'd think they'd be out there spending that that as fast as they could spend it. So. You say that you just you just didn't see them. Yes, and and from the Red Cross funding, what I believe is, and I'm happy to be corrected on this, is that uh, individuals can't actually apply for any help from the Red Cross. It has to be a registered charity or organisation that applies for help. So, I'm not sure how that money is going to get to the people in need. You know that really need to use it without all the uh, middlemen involved. Um, but it is it is really really disappointing because, like you said, they have raised a lot of money, and these people really need it. If that is in fact what this money has been raised for, why is it being held back? I do not know. So many questions, not enough answers, and it's so not they can't enough. just they just can't dole it out to you know you see some bedraggled person in the street who's obviously had everything ripped away from them in the flood. They can't give them any cash or anything like that. As far as I'm aware, no. Okay. Well, maybe we can be corrected on that, but that's interesting. Um, That must have generated, you know, bad or ill feeling in the area. Oh, definitely. Definitely. There is certainly a sour taste in the mouths of those uh, who are property owners in the area, especially when it comes to uh, governmental agencies that that they would have expected to provide support. What have you been doing to help? What's the effort that you've been involved in all about? So I began, I was in Waihe when all of this went down and a good friend of mine, I believe you know him as well, Tobias Tahi, he uh, began or he initiated a donation drive in Hamilton, which I shot straight over to help him out with. And we sent a couple of trucks down from there. From there, I came back to Waihe, did another donation drive and then loaded my personal house bus, which I live in, uh, floor to ceiling, full of donations. And I drove down to Hawke's Bay myself. Of course, I had to go the long way around with all the roads shut, but it was worth the trip and uh, when I arrived there I decided that um, I'd call a couple of friends together and we'd head out with shovels and gumboots and see what we could do to help people out there because we knew there were people needing help and what I didn't expect to find when I got there was 
many, many, many other people doing the exact same thing as I was, which was walking up and down streets that had been affected, trying to find where we could help, who we could talk to, who needed assistance and how. Uh, And it it was just a big, um, I guess people just didn't have the direction. There was no direction um, being provided and people were struggling to help even though they really wanted to. So uh, that's how it all started. I decided to um, start pulling people together and identifying properties with property owners uh, who needed some assistance and needed some help. I already had a donation drive started funding wise uh, from what we had done in Hamilton to get down to uh, Hawke's Bay. So I started utilising that and building on that to be able to hire diggers and tip trucks and trailers and portaloos and all that sort of thing uh, to start providing the help that people really needed at their homes and pulling together all the volunteers in the area who wanted to help but didn't know who to talk to and where to go. I started, I just began directing people as to where they could go to help, what time we would be there. Um, the first sort of roadblock we came across was the fact that there was no toilets or plumbing or electricity at any of the properties we were working at. So I had my crew who were squatting behind bushes and squatting behind fridges out in paddocks trying to go to the bathroom. And uh, so that was the first thing we had to get sorted. So um, I managed to find a portaloo company that allowed us to put the loo on the back of a trailer and cart it around to every site we needed. Um, and then I had people reaching out to me to offer help, like, uh, you know, lunches and different items that we needed, scrapers, shovels, wheelbarrows, everything just started rolling in, water blasters, electric tippers, um, all sorts of things that people just wanted to contribute to be able to help. And so it came together in a very organic sort of unplanned but planned kind of way, if, if you... No, I, I, I get the gist. I was just thinking it's oh. incredible... Uh, and and fantastic effort, by the way. Well done, Zeb. Great effort. Um, and fantastic hearing that. It lifts my heart. But isn't it amazing that what humans can do, you don't you don't need necessarily. It probably helps. Well, it doesn't help. Look what happened with the, uh, oh. the top down folk. Not much. But when you get out there on the ground, like you say, in an organic way, boy, do things. Just by the way you describe that, things really come together. It's it's impressive. Yeah, they absolutely do. And, you know, that's not to say that we didn't have trouble along the way. You know, there were hiccups. There were things that we had to navigate that we weren't sure how to navigate. I mean, personally, I've never done anything like this in my life, so it was all very new, although I did have a few skills that came in quite handy. But apart from that, it it really was a big organic yeah. winged um, sort of sort of thing, but it came together really nicely. And I believe what made it come together nicely is the people who were contributing and turning up every day and supporting us in the background, They their motivation was from their heart. It was not from their wallets or their pockets or wanting anything in return. Everybody was motivated by their hearts, and I think that's what really turned it into something beautiful. Yeah. Must have been amazing pulling up in the house bus loaded to the, to the gunnels, <laughs> like, hello, Hawks Bay. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I started identifying people that needed support. Uh, I'd say 90% of the properties that we helped, um, we actually weren't 
asked to help by the property owners themselves. It was usually relatives or friends that would reach out to me and say, hey, is there any chance you could go and help so-and-so? They're at this address and this is their phone number. And so what I would do is I'd go to work in the morning and set up all the team, make sure they're all sorted, and then I would take off and go and check out tomorrow's property and the next day's property so that we could make sure that we had the right equipment for the right property on the right day at the right time so that we could make the most efficient use possible of everything. Wow. I think mm. you need to run civil defence. <laughs> no thanks. And the Red that Cross. Sounds, <laughs> that sounds you like too many locals. <laughs> you must have met some fantastic people. Have you got any stories? I really, really did meet the most amazing people down there. It was beautiful. Um, I would, mm, gosh, having to narrow it down. There was a lovely, lovely woman that we met in Pukkofai. I'm going to keep her name to myself because let's just call her Mary for now. So Mary was a solo lady who lived by herself in Pukkofai and uh, she was hit quite badly. Uh, she had to uh, stay up on her roof for a good eight hours waiting to be rescued and uh, she had to watch and listen to quite a number of her sheep pass away in the waters as she was oh, up on yeah. that roof there. It yeah. was a very heartbreaking story to hear. And um, her mental health was not the greatest after all this went down, uh, as you can probably imagine. People were hit really hard and mental health of the whole community just plummeted. There was a lot of issues in her area with looting and, um, you know, people were arming themselves. Police were not stepping up and stepping oh, in. Oh, so, sorry, to, sorry to jump in, but that, so, because we heard that reported and it was sort of downplayed. So that was a, a, a very real thing, was it? It was a very real thing. Uh, so part of the story with Mary here is that she was so scared being this older woman in her, I think she's in her early 60s. And uh, I actually ended up moving onto her property in my house bus just to provide a bit of extra security for her with someone else on her land. And I can honestly tell you that I slept with a machete in my bed every night. Wow. Okay. It was not fun and games after the sun went down. The The atmosphere just completely changed as soon as darkness hit. So there were people roaming around looking for opportunities to to steal and, I don't know, intimidate. But uh... Oh, absolutely. They were entering properties, driving vehicles in, um, you know, just two houses down. A big chiller had the door ripped off it and things inside. It was, it was just absolute carnage and chaos. And I think the most worrying thing, and still is to this day, is that residents are being tipped beyond the point of having to take things into their own hands. Things are going to get ugly. I'm surprised nobody has been shot already, to be honest. Really? Really? So, so that that um, that possibility is still there. Is what you're saying? I, I, that possibility is absolutely still there. Yes. So the police, they kind of. My impression was they would downplayed it. We don't have a law and order problem here. You know, we sort of got it under control. Um, were they being real when they were saying that? In your uh, experience. I, uh, well, I don't know who they were talking to or where they were talking to them. Um, maybe they, they were referring to different areas, but in the areas I was working in, that is definitely not the case. You'd expect them to be across all the areas, though. That's the thing. I mean, you can't just pick and choose, right? 
That's the, right. The residents suburbs. are just screaming for support, security yeah. support in the area. The residents have been screaming for roads to be blocked overnight. Uh, police have promised to have people on the roadblocks every night manning them, but every time we drive past, there's no one there. Okay. Well, you might just be picking the wrong time, Zeb. Maybe, quite possibly. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> every time, yes. Yeah, yeah. the odds um, are slim, but I it can happen. <laughs> I can report they've been quite helpful with uh, speeding tickets and things. Uh, my crew, uh, one of my crew members got a speeding ticket for driving 42 kilometres an hour. That was very helpful for the process that everyone's going through here. Oh, crikey, Yeah, really. it was oh. wonderful. Um, what did you make of the damage? I mean, Mother Nature hit him hard. Um, what did you see in terms of, you know, the, the damage that was caused by that well, it was a atmospheric river of water, wasn't it? That came down on it them. It really, really was, and um, we've we've been referring it to it as the river of salt. It's the river of salt, <laughs> unlike the river of filth. <laughs> ah, you know us, yeah. <laughs> river of filth, proud. The the, the, um, the the guy with the greasy hair said that, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. But um, as far as damage went, it was extremely confronting when I first arrived in Hawke's Bay, which was. I think a week after Cyclone Gabriel hit, there was still a sheep up in, you know, two stories high up in trees, just on main really? roads. Yeah, it was it was very confronting. I would not have liked to have seen any children going down those roads in that time. Uh, you know, we were burying animals, we were getting animals out of trees and orchards and things. It, it was it was horrible. Um, there were you may have seen one of my videos. You may not have seen it, but I just did a walk up one of the residential streets, and there were just piles and piles of dead animals outside on on the road. I haven't seen that. I would have remembered that. It, yeah, it was quite horrible. Uh, one pile, uh, it, one pile. I can honestly say I, I actually have flashbacks about because there was actually a dead sheepdog on top of all of that. It was, it just hit so close to home. It was, it was horrible. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, is it your sense that um, it's going to take a quite a while to restore, at least to an acceptable level of living? Most um, definitely. We're talking area. about years here. We're talking about years, not months. We're definitely talking years. Um, the, the damage to the homes is just catastrophic. Uh, you know, residents are being told by the insurance companies not to clean out their homes because they need to send assessors out to assess the damage and the repairability of them before we touch them and clean them out. But the problem with that is our residents, they have sentimental attachments to these homes. And while it's all well and good to say, hey, an insurance company will pay for it to be demolished and rebuilt, that does not account for the sentimental attachment. And people just want to save these homes that they've raised their children in for 30 years. And it's I wonder if, if uh, given given the damage, is there even the capacity to to get that work done at the insurance company side in a timely way? How long do you wait around? Well, I think we're talking years on that one too, I'm afraid. And uh, in the meantime, we've got these risks of red zoning going on, which is just horrible. Well, you must have worked with some people of like mind too, new friends probably, um, how's, how's that been? How's that gone? It's been great. After my first couple of weeks of struggling and burning out and trying to do five different full-time jobs on my own, I had a few crew members and friends that stood up and took on some really, really big chunks of responsibility uh, that I was really struggling with. And for those people, I will be forever thankful and grateful because there's no way I would have 
been able to accomplish any of that without their help and support. And these people are just amazing people. Can I can I name a couple of them? Yeah, you go they for it. They were just so helpful. Penny Edwards is one of the friends that I reached out to when I knew I was coming through to Hawke's Bay to help and I just messaged her and I said hey Penny get us a team we're going out to help there and Penny was on board from day one and uh, eventually she put her hand up to do team lead sort of work which was absolutely great it freed me up to go and check out other properties that needed help I could leave her in charge of the team and go off and do what I needed to do so Penny Edwards uh, she's actually running her own team in Hawke's Bay now aptly named River of Silt and they are doing (laughs) really really great work yeah Uh, another person who was just absolutely priceless to have around was Marty Marty came in from Tauranga he came to help for I think he was only planning to be there for a week but of course as quite a number of others uh, happened to to turn up they, they just couldn't leave I think he left for a couple of days and came straight back but he had a big background in machinery operations and machinery management, heavy machinery management. So he could look at a property and know exactly what machinery was needed, what size, how long it would be needed for, and and everything, all those little details that I had no idea about that I was just sort of guessing my way through. He knew about all of that stuff and he happily stepped up and took the lead on all of that, which was just amazing. Marty is back in uh, Tauranga, or the Mount, I believe now, Mm -hmm. and uh, a couple of others, Rook and Kaya, They were a couple that were living in Hawke's Bay in their bus and they came down and started helping straight away. Rook had never really used a digger before, but he jumped in a little digger (laughs) on the first day we got one. He jumped in a tiny little 1.5, 1.7 ton digger and started playing around with it. Honestly, within a couple of weeks, he was an absolute master. By the end of this thing, he was running an eight ton machine like it was nothing. He An was extension just, of his body almost. Eh? Really, it really was. And it was beautiful to watch because it just had that natural flow and he was making the tiniest little movements that were just so, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They were spot on, very accurate. Yeah, accurate, and yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't believe the transformation that he had made. And uh, his partner Kaya took on a leadership role as well with Marty. And uh, eventually those two were off checking out properties um, while the rest of the team were at work, which was, yeah, it was really, really cool. I'd love to get my hands on a digger. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Next disaster. I'm, I'm joking. Uh, um, okay, so... From what you've seen, what you've been involved in, um, what advice would you give, because it sounds like they need it, to those who are tasked with this as, you know, the, as the first point of action, um, what are the learnings? Yeah, what are the learnings that you've taken away from that experience? One of the biggest things that I learned, and I did learn it quite quickly in this situation, which which worked to my advantage, I believe. But one of the things I learned very quickly was that if I look after those volunteers, if I look after the team properly and really well, then the team are going to be productive in helping the people that we're trying to help. So looking after that team was my top priority. What their needs were, uh, you know, what they really, really needed was was a very high priority for me. And um, I constantly communicated with them everything I was doing, what was happening with our funds, uh, keeping that communication good, I feel, um, was, was necessary to be able to successfully run that team. 
Mm. And what about the, you know, the the actual physical work? You know, you mentioned equipment and, you know, supplies of stuff and things like that. And it sounds like a more what what you'd consider a disorganized approach works kind of better. Does it? Um, I'm not sure if better is the word. But well, if you're going to sit own... around and try and, and super organize everyone getting going, you're going to be sitting around for a while, right? It, it sounds like it's better just to hit the ground running just and do pull it, it together. Yep. That's it. Just dive in the deep end with no f- swimmers on and just doggy paddle your way through life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a you good know, metaphor for everything. <laughs> doing something is better than doing nothing. And, you know, I guess it's like, um, I guess trying trying is better than nothing, right? You know, you try, try, try. You may succeed, you may not. But at the end of the day, as long as you're being helpful and you're not causing any harm, then do it. Do no Just harm. I've heard it. that before. That, <laughs> I do have a nursing background. <laughs> okay, you know that one. Um, I do. Okay, then. Well, it's really been interesting hearing about your experience there and, and sort of giving us a first hand, even though you've been out of it for a couple of weeks. That's not long, though, if you're keeping in contact um, with folk. Do you think you'll go back and do some more? I, or is, yeah? I would love to go back and do some more. That is a, a very high possibility at this time. So the reason I had to stop what I was doing was because my bus is in a bit of disrepair. So what I'm doing at the moment is I'm getting all the work done on it that's been piling up for a while. And then once that's all done, I'm hoping to return to Hawke's Bay. Does it need a warrant? <laughs> <laughs> a few more things than that. But okay. Yeah, but what sort of bus it. is it? I, I, I'm a bus enthusiast, so you've got my interest. Ah, so for the last three and a half years, I have lived in my 85 Hino rainbow. Oh, She's the old a, Hino, yeah. 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 Is that one of those um, Japanese import ones that are built like properly from the ground up as buses? Because they're really well built. I believe so. Yes, she's she's a really good structured beast, and um, yeah, nine meters long. And I drive her everywhere. I love her. I've got my little dog and my little cat, and uh, that's us. We just travel the country. Okay. Well, good luck in getting it ship shape for the road again. And thank and Zeb, you. thank you for coming on Reality Check Radio and and giving us an insight into that. It's been really good. Oh, hey, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.